You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. Hey everyone, welcome back to Faith and Other Oddities, where we are still in Judges, wrapping up the Levite and the Concubine. Well, I guess we're not wrapping it up, but we're continuing in the Levite and the Concubine. It's still a lot of ground to cover with this one. Yeah, and it's it's one of those stories, um, as we mentioned last week, we it's just terrible. Yeah. And uh but I think it's I think it's good that we take an honest look at it. Um mm-hmm. because we do it is one of those that does get swept under the rug a lot. Um I also uh, as we mentioned last week, if you're listening with kids, you might want to uh, preview us first. Preview this first, um, because it is a graphic story. You can't get around the fact that it's a graphic story, mm-hmm. and it's it's one of those that there. Well, we'll get into it in a little bit, but yeah. <laughs> basically, uh, to kind of catch you up, if you if you did not listen to last week's episode, please go listen to last week's episode. If not, just to kind of catch you up to where we are in the story. There is a certain Levite from Bethlehem. Well, he was from the hill country of Ephraim. Hill country of Ephraim. I'm sorry. I was mm-hmm. thinking of the other Levite. Yeah. Um, One of the points that tie him together. Yes. Um, so he was, um, he had a wife. The wife decided she was done with him and went back to her father. He went to her father to get her back. And on the way back, they stopped in the town of Gibeah. Gibeah. And so... There they, well, just not good. Uh, <laughs> well, they encountered the old man who they, takes them in for the night. Yeah, they encountered the old man uh, who took him in for the night. And then they, much like the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, the men of the city said, hey, we have a visitor and we want to have sex with your visitor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, which to me just seems inappropriate in yeah. so many different ways. And... <laughs> this and uh, similar to the Sodom and Gomorrah story, the uh, the old man says, "Hey, you can have my daughter and also the Levite's concubine." Uh, it's a little twist from the original mm-hmm. story. The main difference in this one is the there's no angel to blind everyone and stop them. Precisely. So, um. So yeah, that's kind of where we left off, and we'll yeah we'll, we'll go from there. there. But if I do recommend going and listening to last week's episode before listening to this one because we did stop kind of in the middle of some very pivotal stuff. So mm-hmm. well, it's worth, yeah. worth listening to. There was just so much information. And like we said before, the writer packs a lot of information in through little hints and allusions that he expected his audience to know. So we kind of had to unpack some of those things. And I, I also made the statement at the last episode that I don't really go into the spiritual warfare stuff and I didn't finish that off. I don't like to go into the to spiritual warfare without a lot of background and context, and we just don't have time to get it in in this story. So we may return to a spiritual warfare episode sometime in the future, mm-hmm. but uh, that is something that we do want to be careful with when we are talking about because it does get crazy yeah. really and I, fast. And I think if we do that, we should probably bring in some people who are a little more versed in mm-hmm. some of it as well. Um, I think Doug might be a good resource I'm to thinking, pull on yeah. that one. Exactly. So, yeah, I'm with you on that one because uh, it is a uh, it's a deep topic. Uh, but I think that a lot of the violence that we're seeing here, especially given the fact that the sons of Leal are major players 
uh, this is spiritually rooted, that there is more going on here than just people are being bad, that this, there is a spiritual component to Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And we talked about how the first Levite with Micah and the Levite could be bought off and bribed, but this Levite, he couldn't be bought off and bribed. And so he had to be destroyed. Now that may seem a little weird because he's been messing everything up and hasn't been being such a great guy up to this point in the story. Why would you need to destroy a corrupt leader? Because he's still the symbol of God's leadership. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's the thing. Even if someone is not doing what they're supposed to be doing, if God has called them to a purpose in their life, they can still be under attack because the enemy knows the potential that lies within them. Right. So... So we're in verse 25. The men had just surrounded the house, like you said. The um, old man had offered the women up to them. And number one, the old man has overstepped his bounds. He should not be offering up another man's wife. In case anyone was unclear on that, don't offer (laughs) for other people to have sex with someone else's spouse. Yeah. Well, and it's, and I point that out not because it's just wrong to, you know, do that particular act, but. As the wife of his guest, she should have been under his protection, Mm -hmm. but she was seen as being expendable by him, by this old man. And he was, we mentioned before, and this is very important. He told the men that they could, should not do this evil thing and that they could do with the women what was right in their eyes. He never appealed to Torah. He said, what you're doing is right in your eyes, but it's not what's right in my eyes. And you need to do what I think is right. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, you know, there's a lot of parallels with today's society that everybody gets to define good and evil according to their own standards. And if it offends you, then it's wrong. Or if it doesn't offend you, then it's right. That's not how it works. It's never worked that way. God has a specific set standard that we are supposed to try to um, adhere to and try to strive for in our life. And when we fail to do that, then there's a problem. So verse 25, I'm going to read it. Uh, But the man would not listen to him. So that the men would not listen to him. So the man seized his concubine and made her go out to them. The Levite is the one who seizes her. He, um, there's some ambiguity in the Hebrew, but we know from context that's what it is. There's a lot of discussion about it. Uh, he seized her and he pushes her out. This is the guy who made the trip, this long journey to speak to her heart. And he is now shoving her out in this mob to fend for herself. and. This is where a lot of Christians try to allegorize the story that the Levite um, is the nation of Israel, or sorry, that the um, uh, the nation of Israel is actually the concubine, and they're claiming that the concubine played the harlot. They build on the idea that she was unfaithful to her husband, mm-hmm. and so she's kind of getting what she deserves. Now, I don't care what a woman's do- does, has done in the past; she does not deserve this, and that's one reason why the allegory falls apart. It falls apart from a literary perspective because the nation of Israel is never a concubine. She's always the first wife. Mm-hmm. And so it, it just, it doesn't work, but that's one way that they, that people try to make sense of the story. And I think there's some detrimental um, things that come out of that interpretation because wh- where do we think that it's appropriate to say, this is what oh anybody deserves. Right. So, um, I, that's another reason why I do veer away from the uh, unfaithful uh, translation. And if we're going to to shift our focus to allegory 
And we need to look at the Levite. You know, who is he? He treats this woman in the same manner that the spiritual leaders of Israel are treating the nation. Mm-hmm. It, we need to talk about what he's doing, what his failure as a man is, and stop looking at her and focusing on her. Because these allegorical attempts to breaking down the story always focus on her problems, not his failure as a husband. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and I don't know how you get away from that. I mean, mm-hmm. if a man he throws, his own, throws his wife out to a crowd of men who have stated their intent. Yeah. Yeah. And... And then what's he doing the rest of the night? Oh, my goodness. Uh, This is the problem. Um, Because, okay, we'll get to that. Because in the meantime, the story actually follows her and it talks about her. And this is is where I about lost it. Okay, because the story, um, verse 25b, let me start there. And they knew her and abused her all night long until morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. That's the ESV translation. Mm Mm-hmm. It's probably the weakest translation of this verse that you could ever come up with because it, it, it's just, it, it doesn't sound terrible when they put it like that. They, they knew her, they abused her, and they let her go in the morning. It, 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 there's, there's no shock factor. There's no glimpse of the horror of, of what this actually means. And I went back and looked at the Hebrew and I looked at the text, uh, the tenses of the verb here uh, for anybody who's a Hebrew nerd or wants to become a Hebrew nerd. Yeah. This is a hith pael. This is a reflexive form of the PL. And the PL is the intensified version of a verb. So it's the difference between you broke something and it's shattered. Mm -hmm. And so whenever you see the PL, it's the most, it's the strongest form of whatever the verb was before. It's the most intense meaning you can get out of that word. They knew her is not the most intense meaning you can get out of that word. Right. It is technically correct as far as it's built on the word yada, to know, sure. which is the same word that we find Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived. Right. So we know it refers to a sexual act, but this is a violent sexual act. This mm-hmm. is straight up rape. And so, well, the JPS does render it as rape. Yes, and they they're a little bit more honest about it. Uh, uh, to abuse her, the same thing. It's that same form, and God uses this word when He's talking about what He did to Exodus, uh, to Egypt in the Exodus. Mm-hmm. And so, in Exodus ten two, um, He says, "This is how He dealt with Egypt for what they did." And we know what He did to Egypt. He decimated Egypt. Right. And so. This is the same sort of violence being done to this one individual that was done to that entire, um, entire nation. Um, let her go, also the PL, so also an intensified form. It, it's, she was thrown aside. She wasn't just let go. She was just cast away like a piece of garbage. Mm. The, this, is, this whole verse is about how degraded she was treated over that night. And yet in the English, we have this very, very weak translation. Mm-hmm. And so I did, obviously, an Emily edit, and I rewrote it. They raped and tortured her for hours, and then they tossed her aside like a piece of garbage in the morning. This, this is, it, it, it's beyond. Mm-hmm. And so, because when we, when we soften the language, we, we miss the point. Words right. matter. Yeah. Well, and, and, and 
just, I mean, just the way we handle this stuff and, and even, you know, we're, we're the way, the way we're talking about it or the way that, you know, the way we discuss it, we try, we, we try to be delicate with it because it is a sensitive matter, even in the mm-hmm. show, but we also need to be frank about mm-hmm. what happened. It was and, horrifying. And yeah, but it, I, I've never, I mean, I don't know that I've ever heard any sermons on this. I've mm-hmm. never heard a Sunday school lesson on it that I can think of. Mm-mm. I've only ever heard some university lectures. Mm-hmm. And because I think, I mean, it's, and I don't, I don't know the reason for that, but it, I mean, the, the university definitely is, is, is much less afraid to get honest about a lot mm-hmm. of this stuff. Well, but at the same time, you know, we do see still an attempt to soften this. So that, I mean, I guess we're afraid of, I mean, I don't know. We're afraid of the, the, what the Bible says sometimes. Well, I mean, this story was meant to be disturbing. It was supposed to make you sick. Mm-hmm. The, that was the whole reason it was written. And I think we try to avoid that because we, okay, we in modern Christianity don't like the ugly parts of our faith. Right. And there are very ugly parts. And sometimes those ugly parts are, you know, that's the, the evils that were done in the name of religion. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the evil, the ugly parts are taking care of somebody else who was hurt. And, you know, when we start neglecting the things that make us uncomfortable, it means we can't take care of the people who make us uncomfortable. And we've got to be able to take care of those who have been hurt. And sometimes that hurt is sexual abuse. Sometimes that hurt is being betrayed by those who should have been loving and protecting you. Mm-hmm. And so this story should help us inform us on how to respond to someone who has been treated this way, because there are a lot of people in this world who are treated this way even today. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the other thing we do with this story. When we read it, we read it like, oh, well, you know, that's an ancient culture and they were just not as enlightened as we are. And they, they just do not, they didn't know how to behave any better. Right. Okay. That's BS. And that's as nicely as I know how to put it. Because it's still happening today. And, you know, if you want to get an example of how it's happening today, I pulled these stats from government um, websites and I pulled them from law reviews. Yeah. So I did not pull these from any kind of Christian source. I wanted to make sure that I went to something that was not going to try to bias this according to what I saw. Sure. But globally, right now, we have 4.5 million sex traffic victims in this world. 4.5 million. 99% of those are women and children. Mm-hmm. In 2019, the State Department identified the top three countries for uh, sex traffic. It's us, the Philippines and Mexico. Why mm-hmm. are we a Christian nation in that top three? Right. You know, there's something wrong there. One in seven of these gals and kids who are sex trafficked are runaways. Mm-hmm. One in seven. It's a $99 billion a year industry. Mm-hmm. That means that there's enough people out there willing to pay to engage in this kind of behavior that $99 billion are raised. So what are we doing about it? We're prosecuting fewer cases. Mm-hmm. Every year, the United States has prosecuted fewer and fewer cases for sex trafficking than we, we have the year before. And why? Because we don't like to think about it as a culture. Right. And we aren't even willing to confront it in our own Bible. And we aren't going to confront it in our culture. We like to turn a blind eye to it. Almost every study out there. Okay. So this is where it gets real. 
Because I know most people listening to this, well, you know, I've never bought or sold another human being. Right. I, I haven't been party to this. Every study out there shows that porn is the number one contributor to this. Mm-hmm. It increases the demand for sex trafficking. It desensitizes viewers to accept more violent sex acts against women, causes viewers to seek and recreate pornographic scenarios, serves as a way to advertise sex trafficked victims to potential, potential buyers, relies on sex trafficked victims as actors, and the experiences recorded by those who have been trafficked, pro, um, pornography actors, and prostitutes are virtually indistinguishable. Indistinguishable. Sorry. This is from the Northwestern Law Review, mm-hmm. if you want to look that up. Catherine McKinnon said, just throwing money at victims of sexual abuse does not make it a job. Taking pictures of it does not make it, a free, make it freely chosen or desired. Mm-hmm. Porn is the go-between between sex traffic victims and those who are going to abuse them. Yeah, I actually, I didn't, um, I didn't look at the statistics from the same place you did. I actually, uh, a few years back, it's been a couple, well, I guess two or a couple of years ago, I started, uh, actually did some part-time work for a company that, that, uh, mm-hmm. wrote sermon outlines and I was tasked with, uh, and what was I doing? Proverbs. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the one where there was, you know, talk of, you know, you talk about adultery and things like that. Mm-hmm. And well, it was, it was made for a youth series and, you know, uh, in Proverbs, it talks about, you know, not sleeping with your neighbor's wife. Right. Um, but you know, uh, hopefully not too many of our kids and youth group are dealing with that particular right. situation. I mean, I know it happens, unfortunately. Yeah. But the, uh, but we, I talked about it and I referred to it as we, we outsource mm-hmm. our, our, our lust and our sin. Mm-hmm. And I looked up the, when I was rummaging through statistics, I was just, by the time I was done with that, I, 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 I messaged my editor and I said, I do not ever want to look up another statistic mm-hmm. on sex trafficking again. Yeah. It's, it's just absurd, it's, the, 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 the rate. And, and again, you know, you talk about uh, how far we're removed from this primitive culture that would do a thing like that. And like you said, we just, we, we outsource it. And, I, you know, we can keep our hands clean. Yeah. And, and whenever we talk about even violence, Think well. What are, look at look at our entertainment. Mm-hmm. Look at look at you know video games. Mm-hmm. Look, it, it's it's there. Yeah, it's it's right there. The, the only difference is we don't actually have to go anywhere to get it. Yeah, and it's well, and I mean, it, it 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 is heartbreaking whenever you start looking at all this stuff. And yeah, I, that's it, when I started. You know, I've known porn's been a problem for a long time. For anybody who wants more more information on that, um, check out my book, Scandalous. And that's just not a plug. But if you if you want to know something more about that, um, I share my story with that because my um, my ex husband was addicted to pornography, and I, I kind of got a look into this and I began studying it to see what the effects were and what are we dealing with. Mm-hmm. It, it was something I did out of self uh, preservation, and it really it helped me to know that number one, what I was dealing with was not isolated. That I was some, but at the same time, it, it was troubling mm-hmm. because it would be so much better if it was just me in isolation dealing with it but but it's not and and we can't fall prey to that trap of oh well that's the world right okay right. just like in this story these were israelites doing this mm-hmm. it's people in the church doing this 
47% of homes in the United States report that there's pornography issues in their home. 56 say that uh, divorces are due to pornography. Mm-hmm. 70% of youth leaders say that they've helped at least one of their youth with the problem with pornography over the last 12 months. 68% of church-going men, 50% of pastors report regularly viewing pornography. And those are just the ones who report. That's the ones who report, yeah. yeah. 33% of women under 25 report regularly viewing pornography. We're not, you know, we're not immune. 87% of women watch, have watched pornography at some point. 57% of pastors say that porn is the most damaging issue in their church. Only 7% of churches have any kind of program to address this. Hmm. We're falling down on the job. Yeah. Well, and I can't remember. There was an article I saw years ago, and and this woman was asked point blank, "What is it? What is it people can do to help stop sex trafficking?" And mm-hmm. it, her answer was, "If the if everyone in the church stopped viewing porn, then mm-hmm. it would actually there would be a big enough hit in." Uh, in the revenues. budgets, the mm-hmm. revenues that you could actually slow some of the sex trapping down, and right, and even you know, like you and I were talking the other day, even even the free sites they make yeah. enough ad revenue off of things that yeah. it's just it, yeah. It, the, and, the, the, well, and 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 one more thing, because as I was as I was reviewing this, because uh, when I was writing that sermon years ago, I was doing that outline. There was. Um, one of the the sites that I, I actually watched some of the some videos of not didn't watch right. porn videos <laughs> right. for research, but I watched some of the videos of people responding to these, and they're like, "Well, it's not there." Some people are saying, "Well, the the porn issue is overblown because not all human trafficking is for sex trafficking," and it's like, "Yeah, but something like I think it's like something like." Almost seventy percent of their revenue comes from mm-hmm. pornographic material. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's and sex has always been the biggest motivator for any kind of industry to move forward. And you know, as soon as we learned how to film something, take a picture of it, do an internet, mm-hmm. sex has been what has created the method and means for that technology to really take off. And I mean, I read some studies about the internet and how basically a lot of the things that we take for granted as just being part of the internet were specifically designed for the porn industry. Really? And yeah, that's, you know, and that's the thing. Did they create bad tools? Not necessarily, but it just shows you how big of a motivator sex really is when it comes to these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've, we've got to be very careful and stop trying to divide us and them because saying, oh, well, you know, like I said, the world's got the problem with, with porn. No, it's us. When half of our leadership, half our church leadership says that porn is a problem for them personally, mm-hmm. it's our problem. And what's really scary about that is I can verify that by getting on Facebook any given day of the week and looking at another sex scandal involving a preacher, a youth minister, an elder in a church. Mm-hmm. And how many, not just one instance of them going, oops, I slipped or I had an affair with a married woman. No, targeting and grooming, Mm -hmm. especially young people, multiple young people over a number of years that we as the church have defended Mm -hmm. and said, oh, well, you know, they were just weak. And we need to stop doing that because when we engage in this behavior, we are becoming the, the men of Gibeah. 
We're mm-hmm. becoming the B'nai B'lial, the sons of B'lial, because we aren't looking like our Father in heaven. Mm-hmm. We aren't acting like we're a child of the God. We're acting like we're sons of B'lial. And that means we're worthless. Yep. And that should hurt somebody out there. And I hope it does. If you're dealing with this problem, I hope it hurts enough that you want to get help and that you want to get out of it and you want to stop being that person and you want to stop contributing to the people who would do this sort of violence to women today. Because if it appalls you in the scripture, it should make you sick if it's happening in your life today. Mm-hmm. So I, I can stop preaching, but gum, this, I mean, it makes me I mean, mad. It, yeah, I mean, and, and <laughs> rightly so. I mean, that's, it is, it, it's. It's a problem. Well, and, we're, we're doing to women today exactly what these guys did in Gibeah. The only difference is the men in Gibeah had the guts to stand up and do it themselves instead of acting like it wasn't happening. Right. And that's, that's okay. And women, we are not immune. Okay, I'm going to talk to the camera. We're not immune because we're just as bad. When we buy Fifty Shades of Grey, when we're out there buying our own little romance novels, supporting these industries, the, the erotic films for women, we're just as guilty. And we need to cut it out, too. And I know there's a lot of women who deal with that. So uh, if you want help, find us at the Scandalous um, Facebook group. And there are women who've walked through it. And we will we'll try to offer you what resources we can. So anyhow, I will try to yeah. unwind a bit. Well, and, yeah, and, well, and, and, you know, and that's, that's something I've, you know, I've struggled with. And mm-hmm. that's something, and, 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 it's, and it remains like, it's not like... It, it's a, it's a constant exercise and it's not something you ever stop having to untrain yourself. It's a biological need that we all have to deal with. And, and when we live in a culture where it's so easily met through illicit means, mm-hmm. then it does become something we deal with. Most people have seen porn by the age of 11. That's, that's how pervasive it is in our society. And I didn't even look up the stats on how many hours of porn that somebody's watched by the time they're 18 right. without even looking for it. Right. And, and that's, yeah. But yeah, I just, I, I felt like I, I didn't want to feel like I was like passing judgment <laughs> on anyone and like going, Hey, but no, it's, it's a constant struggle. And, and that's one thing that, you know, we don't talk the, about it, it. it. The temptation is always, always just oh, yeah. right around the corner. Well, and, and, and that's the reason why I want to point out for women, it is too. And, it, and pornographers are targeting women these days. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, hey, you know, we can write a story for you. We can write stuff that appeals to you. And the other thing we're seeing is, oh, if you're going to be a good liberated woman today, then you own your sexuality by having all these sexual partners. Maybe you want to film it. Maybe you want to take pictures of it. Mm-hmm. Now you're showing how powerful you are. Right. Yeah. Y- why do I have to adhere to your standard of what my sexuality should look like in order to prove I'm empowered? Right. If I tell you no, I'm empowered. Right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, and who was, there was a, there was a, some celebrity years ago said she didn't want to have sex till she was married and the media just tore her up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, wait, you're saying it's her body, her choice. That's her, her choice. choice. Mm-hmm. You know, get. And again, you know, I, <laughs> it, it, and it's a fine line to walk uh, mm-hmm. with, with the discussion as far as like, you know, you don't want to be like, you don't want to be a prude. I mean, right. but in, and we want to be honest about stuff, but we don't want to, you know. It, it's hard to have the conversation because so often in the church, we've avoided it just like we avoid this passage or we have sensationalized it and made it so out there as kind of, a you know, let's scare everyone away mm-hmm. from it mm-hmm. and realizing no, this is part of humanity that we have to deal with, and it's part of ourselves that we have to deal with, and that we all have the 
capacity of doing really evil things if we're given the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And that's just the thing. We are given the opportunity. And, you know, one of the things with the porn industry today, it's, it's in your home. You don't have mm-hmm. to worry about someone seeing your car out in front of the dirty little bookstore anymore. Right. It, it's, it, you can, you know, click an ad and have somebody show up at your house to do whatever you want to do. You never have to reveal your identity to anyone. And it is just you and God who knows about it. Mm-hmm. And so that should scare you right there. And, yeah. you know, you should be thinking about the fact God really does see what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so this, um, and unfortunately, uh, this story, you know, has bearing in the real world because I actually know some women who have been sex trafficked. I know one girl who was sold to a, a John, basically, as a kid mm-hmm. by her own parents, just like the concubine was here just- in... Yeah. I can't imagine. It's, yeah. Um, it, this is, and that's the thing. It, it, it's happening, guys. This is not just an ancient story. It's still being played out. So we'll get back to, um, back to the passage. Again, Judges 19, this is verse 26. And it says, And as morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house, where her master was until light. So she returns to the last place that she knew any sort of safety. This is the closest thing to safety she had, she had experienced up to this point. And, but they're the ones who failed her. And she goes right back to that. And that reminded me that so often victims of this kind of abuse, they go right back to their abusers because it's the only thing they know. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she didn't call out for anyone else. She went back to the person who ultimately he's the reason she was abused, not just the men of Gibeah, but her own husband. So verse 27, when the master rose up in the morning and when he opened the door of the house and and went out to go his way, behold, there was a concubine lying at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. This is one of the most horrible verses in the Bible. Uh, You don't get this kind of detail in most Bible stories, her her hands on the threshold. It's deliberately detailed to, to make you understand what she's going for. She is reaching out. She's begging that the men in her life who should have been protecting her would still be there this time not to protect her, but at least allow her to heal, allow her to have some kind of mercy after this, this repeated rape and torture that had gone on all night. And the Levite, when he gets up, he's not looking for her. That's the other thing that blows my mind. He doesn't go out to look for her. He's out to go on his way. He has forgotten about her, just like the men of Gibeah threw her away physically, he had already thrown her away emotionally and mentally. Yeah, and the, I mean, the only thing I can, the, 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 oh, oh, sorry, I should speak into the mic. The only thing I can think on that is that maybe he assumed that one of the men just took off with her. Yeah. Um, that's the only thing I can think of that even remotely begins to justify that. And, uh, and then his response when he sees her. Oh, my is, goodness. Ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I, it, so yeah (laughs) she she is she is the epitome of the victim everybody who had been should have been standing in protection over her from the father who should have negotiated for her to be a wife not a concubine Mm -hmm. the husband this old man at the house even the, the fellow israelites who should have been her brothers who should have taken care of her they're gone yeah and we also have at this point in this verse is a language shift. He's no longer her husband. I noticed that. It says master. He's her master. 
And this is kind of like, I mean, it's like the writer just rips the mask off of him. He, he's no longer the holy man. He's no mm-hmm. longer the spiritual leader. He, he is somebody who has bought and sold his wife. And he sold, you know, he bought her for his pleasure and then he sold her for his protection. And this is the spiritual leadership of Israel in this day. And his response to her, verse 28, he said, get up, let us be going. He should have been on his knees. Yeah. That that one just, it kills me. Yeah. He he doesn't. I mean, there, there's no compassion. There's no mercy. Get up, come on. This is supposed to tear your heart out and punch you in the gut with how heartless he's being. And it says, but there was no answer. Then he put her on the donkey, and the man rose up and went on his way home. And it gets worse it again. Gets, yeah. Yeah, now the Masoretic just has, but there was no answer, and we aren't told, is she, is she unconscious? Is she too weak to speak? Is she dead? The, the Septuagint does say that she's dead, but there, there's still—it feels like the Septuagint is trying to make it easier. Um, the Masoretic does not have that. The Hebrew does not have that. And, you know, if she is dead, then the men of Gibeah are rapists and murderers. If she's not dead, the rapist and the Levite becomes the murderer. And, you know, either way, it's horrifying. So Block makes this chilling observation. In the evening, the Levite had opened the door to sexual violence. In the morning, he opened it to death. And that was, I mean, this story... It's supposed to shake you. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. When, when there's this level of violence that, and graphicness in the Bible that you want to pull away from, those are probably the stories you need to lean into the most. Mm-hmm. They probably have something to teach you. I mean, and you, know, you want a good example of that, look at the crucifixion. Really look at the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't just read it at a surface level. Oh, well, Jesus died for our sins. It, it's not that simple and it's yeah. not that painless. Yeah. Well, and, and that's actually, you know, this is one of those things where we talk about violence and I, I'm not one to, you know, endorse violence for violence sake, mm-hmm. but I think the fact that we've been able to distance ourselves from so much violence mm-hmm. Needed violence, even. Even needed violence. Like, we don't get the full impact of these stories in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes. And I do think where, and this is one of those things where I think living on a farm has mm-hmm. kind of made things a little more obvious, like, or made it connect a little bit more with us. Because we've, we've seen what happens to a dog who gets torn up by another dog in a mm-hmm. fight. We've seen what happens when you cut open an animal. Mm-hmm. Like we've we've seen what that looks like. Yeah, we, it's and so whenever you have those kinds of things, even though some of the stuff is happening to animals, you know what it looks like when you cut an animal up. Yeah, yeah, and and mm-hmm. so transpose that to a human being. Yeah, and so yeah, I think we need to have a bit of familiarity with a certain level of, I mean. Violence, for lack of a better term, but just understanding of how 
things happen. So yeah. Anyway, that that being said, I'm I'm sorry. I'm, okay. Well, kind of a side note. No, it, it really isn't. It's going to play in here just a second. So verse twenty nine, when the Levi, when he the Levite entered his house, he took a knife, taking hold of his concubine, he divided her limb by limb into twelve pieces and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. Now Webb, I thought he kind of sum, summarized it nicely. This is the final, ultimate violation of her personhood. She's denied even the dignity of a burial. Within Judges, it recalls Jephthah's sacrifice of his daughter. The concubine is the second woman to be sacrificed by a man who should have been her protector. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the thing. When we look at the deaths of Sarah and Rebecca in Genesis, you know, Abraham buying an entire field so that his wife could be buried properly. Mm-hmm. Rebecca being buried. I mean, these these women who were honored in life and death. And then here she is, she is cut up like a piece of meat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is an inversion of what should have happened because the Levites work in the temple. They help with the sacrifice. He's mm-hmm. using the skills he learned to serve God in order to make this statement to the nation about what happened to his concubine. Why did it happen to his concubine? Because he was a jerk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I edited right there. And the, the skills that he needed to be a Levite are, are being put to the wrong use. And it's kind of, a, it's a type of human sacrifice mm-hmm. and it should be appalling. And, you know, in life, he shoves her into the mob. In death, he seizes her for violence once again. He, he is everything that's wrong with any man that we've ever encountered. And he, he's... He's hiding behind her death in order to cover up his own actions. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like if I make this so, so appalling and so outrageous, they won't see what's going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because as we continue, you're going to find he, he's, he's going to twist this. So um, he sends her body throughout the land. So he, he is saying that he does see Israel as a cohesive nation. He sees them as a single unit, and he does expect them to respond as one. And they do. And so we still see that Israel is, has some kind of identity that holds them together, even in this time where everything is falling apart. Mm-hmm. And by the way, this is... This is a method that was used. Uh, Saul does it in 1 Samuel 11, but he does it with an ox. Right. And he sends the pieces of the ox out to, to call Israel to war, to address a wrong. Mm-hmm. We have a Mari document. that uh, A lord is telling his king, hey, I wish I could cut up the bodies of prisoners to send out as a warning to other nations. Don't mess with us. Right. So other nations in Canaan were doing this. They were using the bodies of people that they disdained, that they held in no regard to, to send this message. And here's a man using his wife. This is how Canaanized that the spiritual leadership mm-hmm. of Israel had become. So verse 30, it says, And all who saw it said such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, talk, count, talk, count, take counsel and speak. What is it? That's the, that's the question. Is it the rape or the death and dismemberment? So the, the clue is in the time. Okay. It hasn't happened since they came up from the land of Egypt. Mm-hmm. 
So it's happened before, but it happened before the Exodus. Mm -hmm. So that means we got to go back to Genesis, and you already alluded to it. We know that it happens in Genesis 19 with Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm -hmm. And the story is written in such a way that you'd pretty much have to be oblivious to, to miss the connections. Right. But it's not just, you know, a lot of times when we talk about retellings, we're like, okay, here's some key themes, here's some key phrases, here's some key words, and this is how they fit together. I pulled this right from block, so you don't have to count on my ability to, to um, count. But almost one quarter of the words used in Judges 19 are the same as Genesis 19. Okay. That's a pretty hefty... Um, some. Yeah. 24 linguistic expressions of judges are often are have counterparts in Genesis. The only changes are for number and context. So where you know, like daughters and concubine and, and mm-hmm. so uh in Hebrew they have the exact same number of words in both accounts. And they follow point by point. The men surround the house, they call out, Lot and the old man both go out. Please mm-hmm. do not do this wicked thing. Do not act wickedly, please. It's the same words. Um, behold, I have two daughters. Behold, my daughter and a virgin. Mm-hmm. Uh, please let me bring them out. Do not do, th- do to them according to what is good in your eyes. In Genesis and in Judges. Really? Yeah. Okay. Wow. I thought that was interesting. I hadn't noticed that before. Mm-hmm. That's, that's pretty wild. So for this level of precision, the writer almost had to have the final written form of Genesis in front of him mm-hmm. when he wrote it. So that gives us also some ideas on the dating of Genesis. It had to have been written before the reign of Manasseh. Okay. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. That, that's amazing. And it's not to say that this is a made-up event. It, we're just saying that the writer presented this event in such a way to remind you mm-hmm. that this is what's going on. And... He's really using it to drive home some points. Um, he, he's saying that the children of evil, I'm sorry, the children, well, it's kind of fitting. The children of Gibeah are just as, and the children of Israel are just mm-hmm. as evil as the inhabitants of Sodom. Right. And evil of this magnitude requires divine intervention to avoid because at Sodom, like you said, there was that angel with a blinding light. Mm-hmm. There's no divine intervention here to save her. That's what it would have taken and it's also saying that evil of this magnitude deserves utter and complete annihilation by God himself. Mm-hmm. And it helps us understand the story of Sodom even better because, yes, greed and pride and the failure to take care of the poor, this is part of Sodom's sin. We know that from Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. But it's saying these are precursors to greater sin, that you don't become a great guy and then a rapist Without going through a few steps. Sure. There's some sure. phases that go on before you get to this point. And, you know, when the, when the man, when the men in the town clamor for a male victim to rape, it only happens after the violence against women has been so normalized that even the good guys don't think anything about it. Right. So that's, that tells you that women are the first to be sacrificed. And... Notice throughout this entire story that the concubine, she's never spoken once. Yeah. We've never heard her voice. Now. Are you saying there's a problem when, there's, we, when we don't give the women voices? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Contrast this to Axon in chapter one. 
She goes to her dad, and before she can even say anything, her dad wants to hear what she has to say. Mm-hmm. He's asking to hear what she wants to, wants to say to him. And she asks him for a gift. Right. And he not only gives her part of what she asked for, he gives her twice what she asked for. Mm-hmm. And this is how highly she was valued in a nation of Israel that was still serving God. We get to, to Deborah. I mean, she's leading an army. Mm-hmm. She's managed to summon one of the largest coalitions of the tribes to that date and even after that. And they ridicule Sisera's mother for celebrating her son, the rapist. And now we're in a city where the men, the very men that are descendants of, you know, that Deborah would have led are raping women. Yeah. So this is how messed up we've got. And all the men in the the city of Gibeah are worse than Sisera that Jael killed, Mm -hmm. that Deborah defeated. And Israel is its own worst enemy because they're doing one thing, what's right in their own eyes. Mm -hmm. And just like the concubine, you kind of beat me to the punch here a little bit, but just like the concubine's voice is never heard, God's voice is never heard, Mm -hmm. which makes me ask the question, when the women are silenced, does God stop talking? Well, <laughs> I, I don't. Mean, I don't know if we can go that far. I, well, yeah. But I think I think we can go into when we start silencing women because they're women. women. Mm-hmm. Then we've stopped valuing them. We've mm-hmm. stopped. I, I mean, uh, it. And I don't. You know, I don't want to go too much on the complementarian mm-hmm. egalitarian thing but really i mean it's so painfully obvious i mean to the point where you've got people just completely discounting what the bible even says about women i mean yeah i, I heard a pastor recently on the internet famous one say that there's no women prophets ever mentioned in the bible yeah which is patently false mm-hmm. i mean you that's completely 180 degrees out of what the Bible actually says. And when he acknowledged one of them, he says, well, that was more of a musical event now, wasn't it? And yes, the women taught in songs a lot of times when they were prophetess, but guess what? So So did did most of the prophets. (laughs) Exactly. So anyway, I don't want to get too far on that, but I, I, you know, when we start, we're treading dangerous ground when we start silencing Mm anyone just because of who they are. Well, go back to Deborah's song when she's, you know, the opening words, you know, teach this at the watering wells of the, the you know, when the, where people gather, teach my words, teach my songs. She's saying, I have a right to teach the nation. Mm-hmm. And here we've got a woman who has been drug all over the country, had to go across it by herself to find safety one time and managed to do it safely. And here, when she's under the protection of a man, it has the most absolute worst thing that could happen to anyone mm-hmm. happen to her. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't just anybody. This was, again, spiritual leader in Israel. And I, I know I keep going back to that. But guys, if our spiritual leadership is not living the life they're supposed to be living, if they're not doing the things they're supposed to be doing, they aren't just impacting themselves. They're impacting their body. They're impacting the community that body lives in. And it mm-hmm. just spreads. And this is the reason why leadership, and if you're in leadership, you have got to straighten up. You've got to live a life that, you know, that represents our Lord well. Because here's the thing. God's silent in this story because what does the father of Israel have to say to the sons of Leal? 
Right. There's nothing. And if you want to hear from God, then you need to be walking in alignment with his purposes and acting like you're one of his sons. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm sorry there. You just can't, you can't get away from that fact. Right. And, you know, you're never going to read the Bible correctly. You're never going to be able to exegete well. You're never going to be able to study well if you're trying to hide your own sin in the face of the truth of God's word. Right. And so you're always going to be biased. And I mean, I'm saying that as someone who has lived that. So I'm not throwing stones here. I'm saying this is what's necessary. Yeah. And the the thing is, the story does not end here. The story continues. And we're going to find that this this escalates and it stops being a situation that happened with one man and his wife. Mm -hmm. This becomes a situation that is actually going to be recreated on a national scale. Mm -hmm. And because this is how evil in a nation starts with one family. Yep. One family. And so this is, it's almost like, okay, (laughs) you take a breath now. Yeah. Because, (laughs) and the writer does, this is where we start in the the Bible with the next chapter. And um, this is chapter 20 and we're moving into it. And my heading says, Israel's war with the tribe of Benjamin. Right. So, because Israel is rightfully appalled. They're rightfully shocked at what's going on. And for a moment, they, they remember that they're, they are a nation mm-hmm. and that they aren't just individual tribes. So, verse 1, then all the people of Israel come out from Dan to Beersheba. So, when you hear Dan to Beersheba, this is an idiom. It means the whole nation. This is the first time it's used. But it it's is like saying everyone from Kalamazoo to Timbuktu is there. Yeah, everyone's there. So we want you to know this. And like I said, this is the first time because Dan has moved. Now they're in the northern part. Beersheba's at the southern part. So we've encompassed the whole nation. And so everyone from Dan to Beersheba, including the land of Gilead and the congregation, assembled as one man to the Lord and Mizpah. And The last time all of Israel had been assembled, that was chapter two, when the angel of the Lord says he's no longer going to drive out the Canaanites from before the um, people. And we haven't had this kind of unity. We've had uniformity, but not unity. And there's a difference. Uniformity means you're just lost as one of the nameless herd. Mm -hmm. Unity means you're still an individual, but you're functioning in conjunction with other people. And they, they gather as one man. Again, the the writer of Judges with those reversals, it was a woman divided, literally physically divided, who brings him together as one man. And he's contrasting these two images by placing them like this. So this outrage that the the Levite is is bringing before the people is doing something that none of the judges in the rest of this book has managed to do. No judge has united the nation so thoroughly as he does when he sends out her body. And I mean, as far as effective calls to battle, I can't imagine what would be more shocking and more, you know, likely to motivate people to to take action. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the fact that this is what it takes Mm -hmm. and the complacency of a nation that they won't even rise up together and protect each other from, you know, the Philistines or the Amorites or whoever they're coming against, the Moabites, they won't do it for that reason. Right. And, and the other thing that 
I find interesting here is whenever, and I don't know if you're getting ready to get into this, but when you look at how he recounts the story, yeah, he leaves out some crucial details. He leaves out some major details because, yeah, um, I'm trying to find the verse there because uh, he starts in verse four. In verse four, okay, because I don't think I'm there because I, I was actually going to point out. Um, the other thing in this verse is that they gather before the Lord. Mm-hmm. This is to denote that the, they see it as a holy war. Okay. They, they see this as something good and true. And we have never seen them uh, really join together in what we might consider to be a holy war. And this is a huge shift too from the fact that God has been silent and now they're gathering themselves before God. Mm-hmm. And, but I, isn't this just like us? I mean, all of a sudden we have a victim that we can put a name and a face to, and we can kind of, she's not just one of the nameless masses now. We have somebody who's unique mm-hmm. and stands out, mm-hmm. and now we'll mobilize on their behalf, and we're going to say that, oh, we're being righteous because we're trying to help stand up for this one individual, when there's been people who have been victims all around us, and we've stayed silent, but mm-hmm. because we didn't have that context... We've been okay being silent. So, okay. <laughs> like I said, this whole story gets me wound up. But I'm trying to find where we are. We, we get to the point with the verse. Um, uh, <laughs> Which part are you looking I for? I don't even know at this point. But you get so wound up, you got, off, got off track on your notes. I did, because it, it does make me so, so mad. So you would get to verse four. I will note real quick, Benjamin is the only tribe who's not present at this assembly. So even if it says they were gathered as one man, we, fi- we find out later, Benjamin's not there. They're not there, and there's some rabbinic debate about why they're not there, whether they weren't invited, um, whether they felt like, they needed to somehow stay out of it because Gibeah was one of their cities or they felt like as a tribe, it was their uh, duty to, to deal with it internally. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's, again, no real consensus, but we do know that Benjamin's not there and it's going to lead to some problems. And so the, the people do ask, they ask him, how did this evil happen? That Ra'ah, how did it happen? And the Levite is introduced as the husband of the woman who was murdered. Writer's words, this is not um, anybody speaking. This is the narrator saying the woman who was murdered. So now the writer of Judges is saying that this is what caused her death, that she was murdered. And he explains, you know, that they were in Gibeah and they would spend the night, but there's no mention of why and there's no mention of the servant. Where did he go to? And he, he uses some really interesting language. He says, and the leaders of Gibeah. Literally, the lords of Gibeah rose against me and surrounded the house against, against me by night. They meant to kill me, and they violated my concubine, and she's dead. Okay, they're not the lords of Gibeah. They were just the men of Gibeah. Why is he calling them lords? Is he trying to elevate his, his enemies and thereby elevating himself? Uh, Block thinks it's sarcasm. Webb thinks it's an attempt to implicate the whole city. And yeah, and so I don't think it's sarcasm so much. I think he really is trying to make it look like he was important enough to have important enemies. Sure. And 
now he's claiming the men wanted to kill him. That was not what they wanted to do to him. Now, they never once said anything about killing him. Now, the rabbis explain this by, oh, well, he would have resisted to the point of death, and therefore they would have killed him, and that would have been correct. So he's not misspeaking. Uh, I think he's trying to hide what was really happening. I think that for a man in his position, uh, well, for any man, but particularly a man in his position, to be assaulted like this would have been a totally humiliating experience. Sure. So why, why give it credence? And they violated my, my concubine. How did they violate the concubine? Yeah, well, yeah. he leaves out the fact that he shoved her out the door to protect his own skin. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, why, why did he decide that this was the, the way to, to phrase this? Is it to, I mean, I can see he's hiding his, his own cowardice here, but even more telling is, and she's dead? That is like the weirdest wording in the world. Why didn't he say they killed her? Well, it, and th- this one, it says they ravished, and the JPS has ravished her until she died. So I don't know. Yeah, well, and that's the JPS reading into also the, the actual Hebrew there, because it is very literally, and she died. It, it's there. Why did he not put that directly back on them? He actually leaves the door open that he is just shy of admitting that he's the one who killed her. It's kind of a word game here with him. Yeah. And we've already seen that with him before when he was talking about, you know, I'm going to the house of the Lord. Look at me. I'm so pious. I'm making those trips so I can do my duty. Mm-hmm. And there'd been no mention of it before. So we don't, you know, we don't trust him with his words because he, he's not to be trusted. And could it be, could it really be that it wasn't the men of Gibeah who killed her, that it was him? The, the Hebrew leaves it open to that speculation. And okay. I think, I think it's supposed to be left open to that speculation. I think you're supposed to be constantly wondering who who the ultimate murderer was yeah as if i mean that's the most horrible part it's not but at the same time i almost think death was probably mercy at that point but at the same time you're supposed to wonder how bad is this levite yeah well he's he's not an upstanding citizen by any stretch of the imagination yeah, and, and you notice that in, in this scenario, he, he's really making it, they were trying to kill me. This is the horrible part. They were trying to kill me. Mm-hmm. And, and, oh, yeah, this happened too. You know, and so now I need you to do something, not because she's dead, but because they were trying to kill me. And this is going to mobilize the entire country, and it's going to tear the country apart, and it's almost going to destroy an entire tribe. And it, it's interesting to see how this plays out particularly as it is the setup for first samuel right and what happens with the opening of hannah there so i think it's probably a good place to put a semicolon for the okay. week yeah yeah that i mean that's good a place as any <laughs> right i mean until we get to the end of this story which we can't come soon enough really <laughs> right um so uh everyone thank you for listening uh, hopefully we were able to kind of shed some light on some of this and Give you Present some it in an think honest about. way uh, that 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 just maybe explains a little bit of why the story is there. Mm-hmm. Um, if you did like what you heard, please 
hit the subscribe button, give us a review, um, share us with a friend, maybe start with a different episode. Um, <laughs> we'll be back next week. Um, in the meantime, if you want to be part of the conversation, ravencreeksc.com or ravencreeksc on all the social media. We'll get you to us where you can talk to us and be part of the conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or anything else, we'd be glad to hear them. So thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes, or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.